Welcome to Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. I'm Rob Wilson. And I am Terry DeQuanto. So today we're doing Memento, one of Christopher Nolan's early movies. Was it his first or was it? It was his second. Second. Uh, okay. He had a small film prior to this called Following, which was almost like a student type film. I'm trying to recall if it was actually uh, released into theaters. It was just something that made the uh, festival circuit. Okay. So this was his but, first like real wide release. Yes. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I remember my parents gave me the following DVD with the Memento DVD for Christmas one year. Oh, nice. I asked for Memento for Christmas and the guy at the store recommended following saying it was his first film. Nice. So I did both. All right. I have not seen following. Yeah, it's good. It's a good little short movie. It's like 70 minutes long. Okay. So yeah, so that's, that's short. So definitely very kind of student type of film. But yeah, it's well done. So Memento stars Guy Pierce as Leonard. He hates being called Lenny, Lenny. even though everybody likes to call him Lenny. And this was kind of, um, I guess in a way, like one of his first starring roles after kind of ensemble things where he did anything. So kind of, a, you know, it was, you know, an independent movie. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So uh, basically the premise is he has no short term memory. As we find out as the movie progresses, he... Uh, Oh, and by the way, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about every bit of this movie. So if you have not seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, pause the podcast now and go watch the movie and then come back and listen. If you don't mind spoilers, and, you know, I'm hoping that go ahead and keep listening. If you haven't seen it, this is you to see it. And it's not a movie with like a huge twist in a way that... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some uh, minor like twists six, in there, but they're kind of... Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a twisty type of movie. But they're kind of predictable no, like, twists. Oh, no, like big surprise. Yeah. You know, like at the end, you know, like the big shocker. But it does go, you know, in different directions. And the way it's formatted, you know, obviously is the big deal. Yeah, I mean, so. it's told in reverse. You see the end yeah. of the story first, and then you, <laughs> as it progresses, it goes and tells a little bit what happened leading up to that part. And then it shows what, what happened leading up to that part and so on right. until it goes back to the beginning of the story. But yeah, so basically Guy Pierce plays Leonard. He used to be an insurance investigator, so he would uh, investigate cases of possible insurance fraud and determine if it was actually fraudulent or not. But his wife was raped and murdered one yeah. night. And, Someone broke uh, into their house, raped and murdered his wife, and he wants to find the killer. Yes, he wants to find the killer, but the uh, don't believe him. During, that, during that incident, he was injured. He took a, uh, a whack to the head and was left with... Short-term memory loss. So he can't retain memories, memories of, yeah, he can't create new memories. So every few minutes or so, his brain sort of reverts back to what it was before that few minutes. So he's constantly forgetting what just happened. So in order to keep track of things, he leaves himself notes in the form of tattoos all over his body. Um, he, he is conveniently still actually the perfect time for him because, you know, well, I guess now he just have his phone. But then you have to scroll through the phone. But he's able to take Polaroid pictures of people or places that he eats and write notes on that as well. So he has pictures of different characters that are in the movie. He also has a picture of the hotel where he's staying, a picture of his car, right? All ways to kind of connect into where he's supposed to be. So basically he'll take a picture of a person or a place that he needs to remember or that is of some importance to him. And he'll usually write a note or something about that person or place or name situation. Sort of thing. And, like, he'll put like the room number down, his motel where he's staying, any information like that. You know, you see him put notes on other things like a coaster, anything, and jot down. 
So he knows when he's going to slip back into not knowing exactly what's happening. And that is why the movie is told in reverse. Because uh, it does you know it's fine. Like, you could easily dismiss it as a gimmick, but it's not because it kind of gives a disorientation that he is actually experiencing. Yeah, and it so, really it you really don't know helps. What immediately preceded that scene with all? Yeah, it really helps the viewer <laughs> sort of see the events of the movie through his eyes. Interspersed though between the scenes is a kind of separate part of the story that is told more chronologically where he is speaking with an unknown person on the telephone about a case that he investigated about another man that the same type of brain damage happened to as well. Sammy Jacobs. And so you're following two parts of his story and eventually they will kind of meet up. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's to- interesting because, because the parts of the movie that are, that are the present time with him are in color, but the parts right. that are memories are black and white. So most of the time, right. the phone conversation that he's on, the, the recurring phone conversation, where eventually, you know, throughout the movie, we find out more of what that conversation is, like who, like what they're, what he's talking about, all that. That's most of the time in black and white. Yes. You have a few shots in there where within, it's more or less when he's dreaming about the events that happened. He'll dream those in color as well. But yes. Which makes kind of sense because that's kind of what is presently happening, so to speak. But yeah, it's a good way to kind of, you know, the difference between the two kind of storylines. You know, really, it's all one. Now, if you haven't seen it, it might sound a little confusing. As you watch it, you understand. But that's the basic setup. So there's kind of, you know, it's going to unfold. And you know, there's this mystery of where he's trying to figure out who killed his wife. And as it unfolds, it kind of becomes a little bit of a thriller also. Because the first thing we see, essentially, is him shaking the Polaroid, right? You know, for you youngins out there. Yeah, hey, I think there's still Polaroids around. It's, it's still around a little bit, yes. A little but, newer, a little they, updated uh, version. But yeah, it's a little updated version of and Polaroid camera. Automatically generate a photo, right? And then, but then you'd have to kind of shake it to develop it, right? And that's what's happening. Shaking it. Well, shaking it really just sped up the developing of it, but yeah, it would develop on its yeah, own. It was the actual development? Yeah, but shaking it uh, sort of sped up the process. But yeah, and actually, the first thing we see, I should say, is he's looking at the photograph. And there's a dead dude in the photograph. Yeah. Um, now we don't know who this dead it, guy is yet in the movie. This but, scene yeah. actually does go in reverse itself because it shows then that slowly shows the film going back to the original negative as it takes out the camera and, and shooting this person in the back of the head. So you still don't really know kind of who it is. And that's when it's able to revert into kind of the chronology of watching this movie. The rest of the scenes are not shot in that manner. <laughs> no, they're not. This, yeah, the, the rest of the scenes aren't shot in reverse. It's just little scenes here and there that are, you know, the scenes are shot forward. But then the next scene is the what, next few minutes before that scene started. And it butts up against the beginning of that scene from before. What I like about it is the scenes are at least, I guess, scenes. If you want to call it a scene, if you want to kind of call it kind of his frame of reference. Yeah, that might be a better way of referring to it. Is sometimes his point of view is where he's able to process and understand what's happening within the moment. Sometimes it's kind of short. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. And there's a scene kind of earlier on in the movie where you know, he's talking to a waiter and the waiter wants to give him direction. And the waiter says, oh, it's very easy. He's like, no, I need to write this down. Trust me. Yeah. It's not that easy. So when he's able to kind of focus more, it's able to be kind of a little bit longer as opposed to maybe when he's being chased or something like not his attention now, then it reverts back. 
you know, he has he snaps out of it or snaps and he loses the memory. He tells her the teleport, right? He's got to keep the eye contact. And actually kind of focus and he can kind of remember the conversation they're presently having without being in the middle of a conversation be like, well, what are you talking about? So there's little details like that. So I recall correctly, you know, I just watched it like today. I'm glad, I'm glad we did this too, by the way, because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Even I had seen it a bunch for several years after it came out. The movie I was a really big fan of. I guess part of it, I think, is you know, it's interesting is because it's kind of one of the, it's not really, it's not a cult hit. It was an indie hit, but then kind of was able to once had moderate success for an independent movie at the box office. It was released in like March of 2001. After I was looking this up because look at IMDb, it says it's a 2000. And that's because it debuted at a festival, 2000 in Venice. Okay. Right? So you don't, you don't see this happen very often anymore where like, you know, a lot of times movies, it's like independent movies, they did you more like at Sundance, hopes of being picked up. So then they can make the whole circuit in the fall, then maybe get nominated for awards, right? This, you know, uh, Her Locker is another one that several years later started being shown at festivals in the fall and then got picked up by a uh, distributor in next year. So it went to like Venice, went to Toronto, and then it went to Sundance. And then at that point, a lot of the people loved it at the festivals. And but they're like, oh, no, but it's kind of this confusing plot structure. And so they didn't want to pick it up. One of them was Harvey Weinstein, you know, back when mm-hmm. he was hitting Aramax. And no yep. one knew he was, a, well, everyone knew he was a pervert, but they just didn't care that he yeah. was a pervert. Anyway, but then Stephen um, He hadn't been convicted of anything yet. That's right. Um, Stephen Soderbergh, he was, at that time, he had now become like famous, especially with the indie darling of the late 80s, early 90s. Now he had mainstream success. He had seen it. And he didn't like that. No one had picked it up to actually distribute the movie. So he was able to push it towards some studios to actually get it released. So he was kind of instrumental getting it out there. Anyway, so yeah, so it took a while. I don't just say it took a while, but it got picked up. And immediately, critics loved it when it came out in theaters again and had moderate box office success. I mean, for an independent movie that that time made about $26 million in 2001, you know, it was a top 100 movie of the year with box office. So, you know, it definitely had the recognition. And it kind of picked up from there because eventually he directed Batman, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was the movie that really put on, on notice for a lot of people. Anyway, but yeah, it's been a while since I'd seen it. And like, I forgot a lot of the scenes. So, yeah, I was able to, in some ways, almost fresh way of looking at it again. Yeah, it had been most of what happened in the movie. It had been a while since I'd seen it too. It'd probably been what twelve, thirteen years since I saw it, and I'd only yeah. seen it once <laughs> all the way through before watching it the other day. Okay, so uh, I had seen you know parts of it since my first viewing of it, but uh, it mm-hmm. was all back in that same time range, like that same time period. So it was like you know ten to twelve years ago since I even saw part of it until the other day when Which I rewatched. Kind of crazy considering I've seen the Batman trilogy. Inception and Prestige and Interstellar and everything, and I don't know why it hadn't really bothered to pick it up again yeah. as much as because I was a big fan of it when it came out, and I was really excited when I was going to direct Batman. Yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, I remember because like, he's such a good director. Yeah, I remember really enjoying it the first time I saw it, and didn't really think much about it the last several years. Don't know why, because it's a good movie. But yeah, so I was kind of, I was kind of happy that we decided to do this one also because it, it gave me a chance to rewatch it and remember how good it was. And it holds up incredibly well. It's kind of funny because it's directed by now a guy that does kind of big blockbusters and big cinematic experience movies, right? Yeah, but this is sort yeah, this of is a, a much smaller yeah, movie. It's a much smaller, more independent right? style of filmmaking. Yeah. It was yeah. all. It was funny. It was filmed in like twenty five days. It's how long it took to film the movie. 
you know, it had like noted actors like Gun Pierce at the time, you know, um, LA Confidential, right? Gary Another Moss great movie. Basically hired because Christopher Nolan saw in The Matrix. I was like, I want her. Yeah, she role. does a great job in it. And then she was able to, they had different ideas, the Teddy character, and then. And we got uh, Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano. Yep. She recommended him. And he's one of kind of my favorite kind of character actors. You know, you don't see him a whole lot anymore. Yeah. But he was in Bad Boys. <laughs> he was in Daredevil with Ben Daredevil. Affleck. <laughs> Obviously, he had a role in Sopranos as well. And, of course, he was in The Matrix. And that's where Carrie Ann Moss is like, well, you know, why not him? Because she thought he would be good for the role. He's yeah. great. Yeah, he, he's a he's a very underrated actor, I think. He deserves more recognition than, than he gets. So I remember seeing it. I saw it with Peter, my dad. I like <laughs> watching an episode of Ebert, and they were talking. And I'm like, "Oh, that sounds cool!" And everyone was like really high on it. I read a few reviews. I'm like, yeah, let's go see that. And I think I ended up seeing it in the. Um, again, people may not know a lot about these anymore, but because movies go so quickly to like streaming now, they used to be the cheap theaters. Mm-hmm. So after movies had their initial run at the big yep. chain theaters, then they go to the dollar would, theater. They would go to the dollar theater, which right? they actually cost a dollar. <laughs> and that's where my dad and I saw it. <laughs> it was at the dollar theater about two, three months after it came out, and I was like, "I just like, this is a great movie." Yeah, I remember shortly time, shortly after moving to Virginia, when dollar theaters had gone up to like two fifty. Two fifty, yeah. <laughs> there was still one in Sterling that had dollar tickets. Yep. Yep, that, that's the theater we saw. <laughs> it was actually great because I remember seeing several movies there a second time once it hit there, like Jurassic Park, Forrest Gump. I want to say I saw Independence Day a second time at that theater, too, back in the day. Anyway, but yeah, it, it, the interesting thing about it being Nolan, though, thinking about being smaller, is like it fits that time period. It's, that time kind of had a lot of the independent movies or other smaller movies where they were looking for some type of twist or some type of gimmick. Or something to catch, right? You know, and reverse chronology is obviously that for Memento. Kind of before, it's before that time where things kind of became more universe-based. Which even, like, you know, Nolan's Batman movies were not part of some larger cinematic universe. And, like, you see even him now kind of pushing against that, doing his, wanting to do his own thing. to kind of stand apart. It was an interesting time at the movies compared to now, where everything is either a remake or part of some larger content universe right yeah. you know. now was batman begins the one they did right after this or was there yeah, another one between insomnia oh that's right insomnia robin williams and yeah Al Pacino, which is also a really good movie um, another one i also, haven't seen but i've i've been wanting to see it also really much smaller scale it's a movie where you have robin williams as a villain yeah one of those rare and movies where robin williams is the bad guy al pacino is like very subtle he's not kind of chewing scenery in it but it's funny, that year, Robin Williams had another movie where he's a villain. One-hour photo. Mm-hmm. One-hour photo. <laughs> that classic we one hour. We should do one-hour photo. We should. We should. <laughs> but yeah, I was just, just jumping back into it. Kind of a long tangent, I guess. Because <laughs> uh, there's is so much to like about the movie. I was, actually, you know, I was actually really excited. really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, and it's, it's an engaging story. I mean... I guess with with the premise of it going backwards and all that, it can be kind of difficult to to keep the viewer engaged in something like that. Right, but but the, the whole mystery of the movie is so like you right off the bat you want you want to find out what happened to this guy. But that's you the thing, want to find right? out who killed his wife, 
who you need to get the viewer hooked really early on in this type of movie. Like some movies, like you can tell, like, okay, it's it's gonna get good. Even starts kind of slow. You can kind of tell. You know, some mm-hmm. movies you can kind of give that kind of benefit of the doubt, right? But this, no, you, you need to kind of get that hook kind of quickly. And it accomplishes that. And it doesn't because the direction is excellent and the acting is excellent. The other aspect that's really great in this movie is the editing. Yeah. You know, again, it gets back to saying like some of the kind of his perspective is short, some's a little bit longer. I think it does a good job, again, at even just kind of keeping things within his perspective, not doing a lot of cuts so that, you know, to see that he's focused, make sure he's understanding what's happening within each situation. And I think the music's really good, too. There's a lot of aspects, but they're able to capture that right away because, like, okay, at first you see the scene where this guy's getting shot in the head. Okay, how, why, right? Yeah. But then you realize that the main character just wants to find the guy that killed his wife and kill him. Yeah, his whole goal is to find the guy <laughs> that killed his wife and kill that guy. And then like, he has think, no plans okay, for well, after. Guy. And then like, okay, I guess we're gonna see how we got there. But then kind of realize right away, like, okay, there's something else that's going on here. Let's start bringing in this mystery that there's so much more than meets the eye. And the movie does a good job of establishing kind of the rules between the two sets of knowledge in some of the scenes themselves of like the present that's kind of being told backwards. You know, just tell people, I need to look at the guy, I need to write this down. But then in those black and white scenes, he's telling us, you know, I got to get tattoos. Some of the other ways of how he kind of copes and deals with it. Yeah, I mean, basically, he, he <laughs> learns that he can help himself to live with his condition by sticking to a, a strict routine. Even though he can't form right. new memories, <laughs> yeah. he can keep himself on track by, you know, doing the same things every day in the same order right. and sort of muscle memory rather than brain memory. Which kind of gets into, you know, something they talk about later in the movie within the other client about how can one be conditioned out of it. Because, yeah, so as, know, as the movie goes on and these phone conversations progress where we hear a little bit more of the conversation and all that, we learn more about this person that he dealt with in his old insurance job named Sammy Jacobs, who had um, a similar condition where he couldn't form new memories. And he was the investigator. And you know, so you kind of follow his story about how he tells his kind of relationship with Sammy and his wife and how he kind of sees himself as different than Sammy. So once we get that first hook in there, of at least the guy being shot, you know, he first kind of other colors you could forget, you know, he's in a hotel room and he's walking to his motel desk and he's like, I need to find this guy. And he has this picture of this guy named Teddy. And we won't, we won't get through all of them because it get, it does get confusing. This mm-hmm. is how it captures you so well. Yeah. Is that it gives you the scene and then all of a sudden it ends and it jumps backward in time. Yeah. <laughs> Forward in the movie, but backward in time. Or you oh, don't really know what's going on. And you're trying to keep in track of what happened, what you just saw. But then see what's happening now. That's mm-hmm. leading to the call it was a guy that kind of tracked all of them between the color sequences and then the black and white sequences. They gave numbers to the color, I think. Okay. And so actually put the entire movie in sequence? To the black and white, yeah. And there's a DVD release that actually has the whole movie, like, actually as it would have unfolded huh. in real time. Um, I think within that, I want to say they interspersed the black and white sequences within the scene still. But the first scene would have been last scene. 
let's just call it, I think, you know, something like 22, 23 scenes. Okay? So let's we'll say, you know, we start with 23, and all of a sudden you jump to 22, right? And then 22 is you know, starting where, obviously, 23 started. And that's where it gets you, it hooks you, because the editing is tight enough yeah. to catch you on it. Yeah, the, the, end, of, the end of each scene is the beginning of the previous scene. It's one of those rare movies, too, where the main character is pretty much in every scene in the movie. Usually there's some other scene where you cut to some, you know, whether it be the villain doing his thing, right? You know, like anything about like a Bond movie. Yeah, but, movie. but with the right. way that this story unfolds, He's Guy Pierce of- has to be in every scene because it's <laughs> it's supposed to be through his eyes. Yeah. And what I've read, they basically, like, Carrie Ann Moss filmed all her scenes at one time, essentially, in a few days. Same with Joey Pants. And then they fill in everything else, whether it be the, uh, the I guess there's a few scenes they cut into there where it's the scenes with Lenny that's being basically narrated by Guy Pierce, right? Where he's mm-hmm. not in. But yeah. So, you know, I think that's part of the brilliant of Pierce's performance is to kind of, he sells the condition incredibly well. Yes, yes, he does. You know, you, you think that, like, he has no idea what's happening next <laughs> with the way you watch the movie. Because, yeah, there's no way when, you know, sitting there watching the movie at the 10-minute mark that you know exactly what happened at the hour and 10-minute mark, even though technically it's already happened. So, but the first piece that we see with him, you know, we talk about the photographs. He has the photograph of Teddy, played by Joe Pantoliano, and he has no on there that says, don't believe his lies. Yeah, because he's got his, his name on the front of the Polaroid, and on the back he wrote, yeah, don't believe his lies. So, you know, he, he talks with the clerk. He's asking if he's seen him. And, you know, he thought he'd maybe seen him around. Thought he was, like, their friends. And he's saying, he's not my friend. And then he shows up. And that's when we proceed to the scene at the beginning of the movie with the guy shot in the head. And that's mm-hmm. Teddy. Yeah, so because are, at that point, since it's since it's the end of the story at the beginning, he actually has all the notes written out. And so on the back of Teddy's picture, yeah. you see underneath, don't believe his lies. You see that he had written, he's the one, kill him. That's right. Yes. And we'll get to where preceding that, the information that he has, if you realize where he believes, we're going to find out a lot more of the story. Yes. <laughs> yes. Those those little twists and turns uh, that we were talking about, they're they're coming up. He has all these other facts. You know, he puts a fact like, okay, so he's a male, he's white. His name is John G. Yes. John, he, it's yeah. one of the big facts. And there's this fact that has his license plate. And so that's like the last clue that he gets, or the last piece of I should say, the clue is that, you know, it's the license plate is, and he finally finds the next license plate to a man named John G. And then when you look at you look at it, it's the same, you know, driver's license picture matches up with, with Teddy. Picture, right? And, yeah, and um, it, it, it's real that, that Teddy's name on his driver's license is John Edward Gamble, John G. And, of course, Edward, Teddy is a nickname for Edward. I never understood that. How? Never, why would Teddy be for Edward? It's kind of like Jack being a nickname for John. Yeah. I never understood that one either. But <laughs> like Eddie is a nickname for Edward, and that makes sense because you get Ed at Eddie. Yeah. Like, I mean, Teddy is a nickname right? for Theodore. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me either. There's a few other ones out there, a little bit more fashion. Anyway, by the way, the motel clerk is played by Mark Boone Jr. Yes, who was also a, a frequent collaborator of Nolan. Did you know he was also in Die Hard 2? Was he? He's a mercenary in that. Oh. And in the shootout in the, the terminal, 
towards the kind of the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. where they set the trap to take yeah. up with the SWAT team. Yeah, where the T one thousand shows up. Yeah, Robert he Patrick shows up. One in of his the earliest roles, or in one of his early he roles, he is like one of the. I think the only mercenary movie that is not killed by John McClane. Huh. One of the SWAT guys shoots him. Okay. Huh. <laughs> I found that out this afternoon. Really? Yeah, more all the probably hundreds of times now that I've seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I never noticed that. Yeah. No, I never. I didn't notice it either. I thought like I knew he was a freaking collaborator with Nolan. He plays Frass in Batman Begins. Yes, he plays. Right? He t- plays Detective Flass, which oh, that's the movie that I was that I always think of when I see him. I always yes, think of Batman Begins. He does a good job in that. He does a great job in that. But it's just, you know, I know that he's done all these normal movies, but I don't know what he did before this movie. I was about, well, I saw, he I, did Die Hard too. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw he was a Die Hard too. Like, wait a second, he was a Die Hard too. <laughs> and I looked up like a Die Hard two page about his character. I looked at his character name, Die Hard two, and sure enough, yeah, one of the SWAT hmm. guys takes him out. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so he plays the hotel clerk in Memento. As we really to find out, he tells his boss about Lenny's condition. He yep. gets his boss gets in the run of another room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Taking yeah. advantage of people with memory disabilities. We should note, too, when we first see him, Lenny, that is, right? You know, he's in, like, a designer suit, which I had. I always had this image. Like, when I see Guy Pierce, maybe because of, I'd already seen it, like, confidential, but I just picture him as Lenny because he's kind of got that bleached hair that was like popular in the late nineties. Yep. <laughs> and it's, and it's sort of an off white suit. Yeah. He's also driving. what He's driving like a, what, uh, he's driving a Jag. Jag. It's right, he's driving a Jaguar. a Jaguar. In which like when you first find out, yeah, he's like an insurance investigator. You know, he's doing that for a high dollar insurance company. He might be making good money. Right? Yeah. You find out there's more to that as well because there's little clues here and there about, the scene where he shoots Teddy, John G. Those are kind of important little pieces there. So, but then you see that he finds information about who John G is or who he thinks John G is. Then prior to that, you get this scene with him in like a little diner or cafe with Carrie and Moss. Yeah, where she's giving him the folder with the She, I guess, knows someone that works for the like DMV and is able to run the tags. And there's a photo of her. And it's not like super clear. You can tell that one of the shots where like she's standing in front of a window where the sun's shining. Yeah, we kind of just see her silhouette with a little bit of her yeah. face in there, but she's turned sideways. <laughs> her name's Natalie. And her little note is that she also lost someone and will help you out of pity. And they have this kind of conversation about how the survivors kind of talks about his deceased wife um, beyond just kind of the bare description, but kind of how he feels about it. It's a good scene, too, because like it, it's sold as, like, you know, you feel like, oh, okay, geez, someone to be trusted, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because when he asks her if, if he told her about his wife, then she says, yes, but tell me again. Tell me about her. Yeah. And so he just starts listing off facts. You know, yep. he's like, she was beautiful. She right. No, and she grabs you know, like his hands. He's like, no, like close your eyes. Yeah, close your eyes and really think about her. <laughs> Tell me about her. Which is so different than like the first kind of thing that he talks about with like Teddy. He's like, have I told you about my condition? And he's like, only every time yep. I see you. <laughs> but there's this little aspects within that though, just the way that, like two guys would talk to each other as opposed to like a guy and a girl are walking to each other, right? And you look at them like, you know, that scene between him and Natalie, that's, you know, like, 
professional thing, but like, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, just kind of the, there's nothing panic about it either, right? <laughs> you know, we're going to find out more about everybody using everybody this week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody uses everybody. So, trying to what happens prior to his meeting with, well, the, we get the sequence again, it's a sequence with him and Teddy, his time, like, at another little, like, diner, one, mm-hmm. you know, one of those kind of ones, really classic Los Angeles ones, where it's basically just like like a coffee counter. And this is like, I, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie because, you know, it's talking about how like the kind of debating about memory and they're both talking about, I mean, they're both yeah. right with what they're talking about, but they're both kind of missing key aspects of things. Yeah. That's when Leonard, he goes, he starts saying that memory isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Memory gets details wrong. Yeah. Memory will change a color. Memory will forget numbers. Memory will, will, change the fine details and even as people can get order details can change a little bit about stories because your memory kind of changes about things it's kind of like um, the, kind of like the telephone game yeah some are minor some are not i was listening to this podcast about this guy that was playing movie like this psychic got exposed as fraud and he would tell these different stories of key events in his life but these major details have changed with each one not minor things are happening but you know, that's what Lenny's talking about. Eyewitness testimony can vary, right? And you can see this in any trial where people perceive things differently. It's the whole Rashomon effect also, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but the thing that doesn't change is facts. Facts, so, right? And he thinks he has the facts. But yeah. as Teddy points out, it's like, is it a fact because you just read it off the back of your Polaroid? And how does he how does he account for the like the back of the coaster that has somebody else's handwriting? Or, I mean, there's there's the one scene in there where he's talking to Teddy, and Teddy tells him something. See, was it was he writing on the back of Natalie's picture, or was it the back of one of the other pictures? But Teddy starts telling him, tells him to write it down, because it's important. And so he goes, yes. he starts writing it down, and he uses a different handwriting. Like, yeah. he writes in cursive instead of his, his print. It's sort of just a subtle, you know, I know he's lying to me, so I'm just going to show him that I'm writing it down, but I'm not putting it in the same handwriting that I normally put it in, so I'm not going to believe it as much, kind of thing. Yep. But then we see another scene where there's a lyric scene with Natalie, where you see her manipulating him. And she's a good, you know, like, and, you know, that's the whole thing. Like, if someone knows you have a weakness, you can utilize that weakness, right? And she knows when she just starts kind of screaming at him, being erratic and hysterical, that he gets confused. You can't focus, right? Yeah. So, then, yeah. so basically, she sends him after this guy named Dodd, who she believes <laughs> killed her boyfriend, Jimmy Gill. Which would be a John G. Yeah, according to Teddy later, which, again, I don't know how James can have the nickname John. But, yeah, that's beside the point. But, <laughs> but yeah. Um, oh, if, if anybody listening to this knows the connections to any of these nicknames, please let us know. <laughs> if you and Edward. Please enlighten us. Who goes by Teddy, please. <laughs> I think that's an old thing. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so he uh, basically we at one point we found out that in order to help, uh, or we find out that that uh, so Carrie Ann Moss Natalie mentions that she's helping him because he helped her, and then we find it out what of, he helped her with. The middle part of the movie within the main action kind of revolves around that drama. So um, basically, he took out Dodd, this guy named the, Dodd, this drug dealer this whole guy. Scene where he shows Natalie picture. He's like, "Who the fuck is Dodd?" And it's this dude that's bloodied in the face and it's got duct tape across his face. And shortly after we meet Natalie, she starts talking about her boyfriend, Jimmy, who yes. went with this drug dealer named Teddy and never came yeah. home. 
And then she believes that Dodd is the one that killed Jimmy. So Leonard, we see that he has Dodd in a motel closet, all bloody duct tape on his mouth, tied up in the closet. But we don't know how he got there yet. And then you gotta put this in the mindset of Bunny that he wakes up in the motel room and he doesn't recognize and he realizes it's not his because he has a picture of his motel room, his key, and he just hears a knocking in the closet. (laughs) Actually, no, first off, he wakes up in the bathroom with a bottle of scotch, looks at it, thinks to himself, I don't feel drunk. (laughs) And then walks out into the into the bedroom. And that's when he sees Dodd in the closet. So he hears the knocking. Mm-hmm. That's when he hears the, the knocking. He's woken up from being concussed. By the way, we get to see Guy Kirsch's ass in this. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot about that. That's right. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, too. <laughs> for all you ladies out there who got a thing for Guy Pierce, you see his tush. <laughs> because he was... He, Found out where Dodd's room was, right? He was waiting for him. And while he was waiting, he took a shower. Because he woke up in the bathroom, not knowing where it was? Or was it after he woke up on the bed? After he woke up on the bed, he went to take a shower. And that's when Dodd attacks him. Yeah. No, wait. (laughs) No, it was after he woke up in the bathroom. That's right. Because he woke up in the bathroom, found the scotch, took a shower, and then Dodd attacks him. That's right. He goes into the room, to the motel, and he waits in the bathroom. Which, like, yeah, it's a reasonable place to hide in someone else's hotel room. Yeah. And there's a bottle of J&B scotch. In the hotel room itself. So he, because he, he, when he gets to the hotel room, actually first he, <laughs> kind of comically, knocked on the wrong door and looked at the <laughs> peephole to see when whoever was in there's eye popped up to the peephole. And as soon right. as he saw that, he kicked in the door and knocked out the guy that was inside, because only to find know, out it's the wrong room. It's One was six, one was nine. Yeah, because he was holding the it's note upside to down. Look at the wrong way. He was holding right. his note upside down, so it showed a nine, even though it should have been a six. So he went to door nine, he goes in. knocked the guy out. <laughs> he hides out in the bathroom. There's a bottle of scotch in there, right? And he was in the room, and he, and you he, know, yeah, and he, he brought it into the bathroom. Because he needed a weapon. So he and grabs a bottle of scotch, he uses it as a bat, again, and he uses it as a club. He's waiting, he doses off, and you know, it helps reset things for him, and yeah, so he wakes up with no memory of how he got there. Like, well, I'm in this room. That's and what you were saying. Like, I don't feel drunk. He takes a shower. Mm-hmm. Takes a shower. <laughs> when he starts getting out of the shower, that's when Dodd gets home. Guy Pierce is naked. And so he, Eastern Promises style, yeah. <laughs> fights Dodd he attacked, naked. He gets attacked in the bathroom. So the bottle of scotch is still there in the back of the toilet. And then he just smacks him over the head with it. Dumps him in the closet. And then he calls Teddy. Well, he gets dressed first. Yeah. <laughs> and he calls Teddy, sits down on the bed, yeah. ends up falling asleep, <laughs> wakes up to Teddy knocking on the door. So the Bill Pollard movie is kind of the whole Dodd kind of adventure. And we kind of see where Natalie gets him to go after Dodd because she wants revenge on Dodd. But this is, you know, where it gets like important because, as you were saying earlier, Teddy's trying to warn him about Natalie. And he doesn't believe it because, like you said, the note says don't believe his lies. But there's a sequence in there where uh, Natalie starts, like, braving him and making fun of him. And she says, like, you know, you can see her, you can see her manipulating him. Well, and- you know, actually, actually, you know what? It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't Dodd that Natalie thinks killed Jimmy. She thinks it's Teddy that killed Jimmy. It's Dodd who she says beat her up. Right. Yeah. There's a scene. She comes in. She's got a busted lip. And bruise on her on the side of her head. And, yeah. And... <laughs> 
Lenny yeah, asked her la- asked her who did that to her, and she said Dodd. So that's when like, Leonard goes after Dodd. Right. And, you know, at this point, despite all this, even though, like, we're going back in time, nothing's ever been mentioned aside from this little piece of information about what Dodd actually did. But we see her kind of using him, manipulating him, and making fun of him, saying how she can do whatever she wants to him. Yeah, he won't remember he it. He won't remember. He's by it. And this gets back, and the whole thing is, like, you can see him now not being able to focus, which is when things could easily, easily snap out to like kind of a new frame of reference, I guess. And he doesn't have a pen. There he is. Yeah, he, he doesn't have a pen, so he can't write it down. He can't write it down. Meanwhile, on the scene, which we had mentioned, like, you see him slap Natalie, which is why she has the busted lip. And the bruise on her face. Yeah. And she walks out the door. And, you know, the whole and, thing's cutting back and forth between him saying, trying to stay focused. And, yeah. And you just see her just waiting in the driveway. Yeah, because she walks out of the car, sits in the car for a couple of minutes, because she knows that his brain is going to reset. And so she's just sitting out there waiting for him, waiting for his brain to reset. Meanwhile, he's running around the room trying to find a pen so he can write down what just happened so he doesn't forget that he just hit Natalie, but he can't find a pen. And then she gets out of the car, slams the car door. And, and by that time, his brain had reset. Like, oh. And she comes right. in all bruised and bloody lips. Of course, is and that's the beginning when, of the previous scene that we yeah. just saw where she's like, it's Dodd, Dodd did this. No, Lenny did. Mm-hmm. But Lenny doesn't know that because he forgot it. Which is an important plot point. So what's before that? You know, well, before, before that, we kind of see where they met at the bar. He goes and sits down at one of the booths, and she walks up with the beer, gives yeah. it to him, and she says it's on the house. And then he goes to take a sip of it, and the, the older guy sitting at the bar starts laughing. Laughs, yeah. You don't know what he's laughing at, but he just starts laughing and sort of looking in Lenny's direction. But one of the other scenes in this, which is kind of an interesting scene because it's one of the few that's not directly related to everything that's happening within the present narrative, is the scene where he hires a uh, escort to come to the motel, and then he gives her a bunch of his wife's stuff, like it's a teddy bear and like a brush, a few other things, right? And, and just tells her, her, I just yeah. want you to wait until I fall asleep. Start using these things you might normally Sorry. would. No, if don't, they were don't use them. Don't use them. Put them around the room. Like they Put them around, yeah. Because she goes to try to brush her hair with the hairbrush. She says, right. don't yes. use them. Don't use the stuff. Put them, just around, put put them around the room. You might put them as a woman, right? Then wait till I fall asleep and go in the room and then... Go into the bathroom and do slam the door loud enough to wake me up. It's a way of him kind of connecting towards his wife. But then after that, he burns the items. That's another kind of scene that's within between kind of that central Dodd stuff and then this next Natalie. And throughout all this, we're, we're learning more about Sammy. Mm-hmm. Because he keeps cutting to that phone call and he's telling more about the story about Sammy. So Sammy yes. is a guy who was in an, it was a car accident, right? With his wife? Yes. That, car accident. Yeah, where he hit his head and ended up in the same kind of condition that Leonard has, where he can't create new memories. And so Leonard was sent to investigate his case because it was believed that he might have been faking and it might have been an insurance fraud case. So he went to interview Sammy and his wife. And Sammy, since since he couldn't remember more than a few minutes at a time, he had a really hard time, you know, like watching TV because a few minutes into the show, he'd forget what happened. So he'd get really confused. So he really liked commercials because they were short and you could remember the whole thing until the next commercial came up. Anyway, so so when he's when he meets Sammy... 
he makes sure to look into his eyes because that's how he can tell if somebody's faking or not because he's able to see those subtle reactions the in their eyes like recognition way. like if, if they know the person that they're talking to or you know if they remember them from before or if they've met them before things like that so he looks for those subtle signs other facial cues that people use sometimes when they're lying when they're nervous and so what he realizes through talking to Sammy is that, yeah, Sammy can't create new memories, but everything before the accident, he remembers. Everything that he did before that, everything that he could do, that he learned how to do, he still remembers how to do all that. Because during their... Even things are, like, super complicated. Yeah. He, during he, their conversation, do just like that. it's revealed that his wife, that uh, Sammy's wife has diabetes. And so she needs an insulin shot. So she, you know, looks at her watch, tells Sammy that it's time for her shot. So he goes, gets the insulin, gets the syringe, prepares it, all that, gives her her shot, and then goes back to what he was doing before. And so Lenny sees all this and, you know, realizes that he still has that muscle memory and that memory of everything before the accident and the know-how to do everything that he could do before the accident. But this was, of course, before this whole part took place, before Leonard had his accident, you know, before he was put in in the condition that he's in now. The same thing. We see Leonard driving a car. Obviously, he learned how to drive a car before losing his short-term memory of his accident, right? So he knows how to drive a car, right? You know, these can be complicated processes. And it's explained that, yeah, that can be, that's retained because, again, it happened before the brain damage. But the, the, the piece, especially about swiping the back, is a very important piece, as we will later find out, because he is the insurance company basically subjects Sammy to test to see if it can be conditioned. You know, and yeah. it's the whole kind of like the, the whole monkey and the electric shock. Yeah. So he they, you know? they have a bunch of, you know, they, they put Sammy down in front of a bunch of you know metal shapes and they tell him to pick up the square. You know, pick up the cube, pick up the ball, pick up the the pyramid. And, you know, he goes to pick that one up and it shocks him. Some of the shapes are electrified. Some of them aren't. And so their point in uh, in the whole in that whole test is to see if he can be conditioned, even though he can't create new memories. See if he can create the muscle memory of that shape is going to shock me. So I'm not going to pick it up. But didn't matter how many times they did it because he would always fail that test. He'd always pick up the wrong item and shock himself. And the basic conclusion is that they think that, oh, no, this is all psychological. He can snap out of this. They deny the insurance claim. Obviously, there's all these tests, you know, um, that build medical bills that are associated with them. Trying to pay out. By the way, I noticed that's watching the movie. So the doctor or the, like, technician that's administering the test is Thomas Lennon. Yes, he yes, was, I was going to mention that, too. Reno yes, Thomas Lennon. He's also the doctor in uh, Dark Knight Rises. He's written a bunch of movies also. What else? He's been in, he was in I Love You, Man. Yes, he was um, in How I Met Your Mother. He's been in a bunch yeah, of stuff. He's done, um, he's done a bunch. He was um, in the, the, the TV show remake of The it's Odd just, Couple. It's kind of funny because like, he's a comedic actor. And here he is playing like, it's kind of funny. It's hard to be, kind of take it seriously because I saw who he was this yeah. time around. Yeah. But here he is like in this kind of like thriller. Yeah, which makes you wonder how many how many other Nolan movies has he been in? Is it just this one in Dark Knight Rises, or was he in some others? Like, is he a frequent Nolan collaborator, like uh, like Michael Caine? And the be up right now. Uh, no, that's it. Just those two. Just the two movies. And he played a doctor yeah. in both. Yeah, no, he's credited as doctor in both. Huh. It reminds me of Jane Lynch, another kind of comedic actress, and like she had a role in the Harrison Ford Fugitive. 
Yeah, she did. She didn't one she? Of his colleagues that worked that's, at his hospital. That's a movie we should do sometime. That's a good movie. We should do. It's a really, really good movie. But Connie Zula, you just really associate it with being like comedians because they star in a bunch of comedies, they write a bunch of comedies, and then they have these early roles that they probably just took to make some money. And there they are. So we find out after the insurance company rejects the claim, his wife tries to plead with him, saying, like, you know, I need to find my money, right? You know, obviously it'd be hard to be a spouse. And I need to find my Sammy. Yeah. You said Lenny. Lenny. Thank you. <laughs> I need to find my Sammy. All these wives. Yeah. Lenny, Sammy, Teddy. Yeah. It's actually it's really kind of clever how they do that. It is. It really is. Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. It, it, it's it just Doc. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> Lenny, Sammy, Teddy, Jimmy, and Dodd. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta think about it from her perspective. They're, like, they're middle age, you know, we haven't really said that. They're middle age. He was yeah. an accountant, right? Yes. Um, Sammy was an accountant. So obviously someone that deals with very that kind of rules and in the box, right? But an accountant. Kind of being kind of a stiff type personality. But yeah, like, you know, probably like in their late fifties early mid 60s right you know it'd be difficult to be someone that you're married to that long who and of course he kind of knows sammy is played by steven tobolowski yes who uh people might remember from groundhog day correct <laughs> ned ryerson <laughs> from groundhog day ned! <laughs> anyway <laughs> but uh that scene where bill murray is actually punches yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> We, that should be on the list, too. That yeah, it should be. Out. It should be. It's another good one. Harold Ramis. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, take a look at it from her point of view. Like, yeah, here's a person that she loves more than anything in the world. And kind of like, I'm like a spouse that might be married to someone that has like dementia or Alzheimer's, where that person doesn't recognize you at all. Either that absolutely recognizes you and adores you, but then can't have anything else meaningful with you still at the same time. So she tries to test to see how his memory is. And so she asks, you know, when it's time for insulin, she tells him that, yeah. you know, it's time for insulin. And then he immediately gets up, goes, gets the insulin, prepares it, husband. gives her a shot. And then she puts the time back on her watch, tells him again. He gets back up and administers the shot. Because she's kind of, yeah, kind of her way of testing him. Which obviously, which, yeah, to sort of. insulin is not good. Yeah, no. <laughs> So after, what is it, four times or f- four or five times? Yeah. yeah. Then, uh, yeah, in each time, you know, she has them put it in a different, you know, inject her in a different place so that it's not obvious that she was just injected. And then, so uh, yeah, after the, I think it was about four times, you know, he goes back, sits down in his chair. She kind of looks at him, lays her head back, and slips into a coma. But, uh, then Lenny, telling the story, you know, reveals that she never came out of the coma. It's interesting. Like, you don't know how he really feels about that, but that's the wrinkle of the story, and it's more to it. <laughs> That's yeah. maybe why you don't know what it feels about it when it comes down to it. Yeah. So mentioned that he had a sequence where he's, you know, he shows up in the bar and the guy's laughing at what he's drinking. And, yeah, and then, what was so yeah, he's laughing at what he's drinking. And then, you know, he and Natalie have a little conversation. But then later it goes to the scene leading up to that where he goes into the bar because he found her coaster that she had written, come see me after on the back of it. And so what we had learned earlier that Teddy had told him that Natalie was working with drug dealers. Yes. Dodd being one of them and Jimmy, her boyfriend, being one of them where she would write notes on the back of the coasters. She's kind of like the middle person yeah. the, between the dealer and the user. So she would basically write some, write information on the back of the coaster Leave it with the target. 
and you know, she she works at kind of like it's kind of like seedy little bar. It's kind of like behind some you know, an office building, wherever it is. It's kind of like in a back parking lot somewhere. So yeah, so Lenny goes into the bar, sits up at the bar because he has his coaster from that bar. And Natalie's clearly not liking him. Natalie's clearly not liking him. Uh, she knows about him too. Yeah, I mean, she knows about him, and Jimmy sort of has told Jimmy has told Natalie a lot about Lenny. Yeah. And so in order to run her little test on Lenny <laughs> to see if his condition is true, she goes to the old man who is the older guy who was sitting at the bar, has him he hock a big old loogie into the drink. <laughs> and then she spits into it. And then she takes it up to Lenny, has him spit into it. <laughs> and then uh, tells him that, that she has a bet going on. And that's what convinces Lenny to spit into it. And so she tells Leonard, you know, she'll meet him in a minute. So he gets up, goes over and sits down at the booth. And then she walks up and hands him the beer, tells him it's on the house, which then leads into the next up. scene where he takes a sip. Old man starts laughing. <laughs> <laughs> And then she brings him another one. Yeah. Like, you know what? That she one's brings disgusting. him. Yeah, once. Yeah, she brings him a, a fresh one with no loogies in it. Switches it out. <laughs> tells him that the the original one was dusty. But then the scene prior to that, he shows up in the Jag outside the bar, pulls up next to the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Natalie's there taking out trash, and she sees the Jag, and she's like, "Hey, Jimmy." Yeah. <laughs> and she looks in the car and realizes it's, it's not, not Jimmy. Jimmy, but he's wearing Jimmy's clothes. Yeah, and he's driving Jimmy's car. Which explains the scene that we saw earlier yes. where she's not liking them. Mm-hmm. So is this scene before that where that, that tattoo scene he's getting the last tattoo? What happens before that? There's another Teddy scene. I can't remember. That's the thing about where it goes um, back and forth so much. Well, the, the tattoo scene when he's at the tattoo parlor, that's that comes in a little bit later in the movie. It happens earlier in the timeline. But yeah, when we see him go to the tattoo parlor parks out front and goes in and gets the license plate number tattooed onto his thigh. And then Teddy comes in into the tattoo parlor and starts asking him why he parked out front. You know, he should have parked around back. Yeah, because yeah, Lenny was ask, asked Teddy how he knew he was there, and he's like, because your car's out front. You should have parked it around back. Because the whole time, you know, Teddy keeps on telling Lenny that, that he's so lucky because he drives a Jag, and, you know, yeah. he hates his car. <laughs> Just like a classic 80s Buick. <laughs> So uh, he hates his car and that he should trade with Leonard because Leonard won't remember. Yeah. That, uh, I, their scenes together are great. They, they, yeah. They, their, their chemistry is fantastic. Yeah. And it goes back to you saying like, he's you know, such an underrated actor. Even Guy Pierce. It's interesting because like Guy Pierce. He's been in some LA big Com- stuff. He's been in like, some good in, stuff. What? Like LA Confidential is kind of like his kind of breakout role, right? Which is such a good movie. It really is. That was what? 1997. So, it was a few years before this. Yeah. Like this, again, the movie was released. It was a 2001 theatrical release. But it was Festival Circuit in 2000. It was actually filmed at the end of 1999. So yeah, just a couple of years after. So a couple of years after L.A. Confidential, right? So one of his next movies, like Rules of Engagement. That was kind of, I guess, 2000, right? Rules of Engagement was 2000. So it would have been probably made around the same time, a little bit before Memento, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously after L.A. Confidential. Also, Ravenous. Uh, Ravenous. I never saw Ravenous. I never saw Ravenous either. Okay. That was between LA Confidential and Memento. What about the Time Machine? Memento, we did have a little uh, mainstream. Yeah. Time Machine was 2002. Okay. It was that 2002. And okay. so was Cal Okay. Yeah. I knew those two came around. Uh, came out around the same time. That's the time we thought 
those are more leading roles. He never really got leading roles after those. Um, became more of a supporting actor, not a character actor, but kind of had the secondary roles. Yeah. Right. And eventually he was in Iron Man 3. But yeah. That was years later. King's Speech, Hurt Locker. But he's had a good career. And it's funny, like, just makes kind of, you know, how much of the entire script they know. And I always kind of wonder, like, how they film the movie. Like, I know for the most part, it seems like Carrie and Moss is on a film most of the scenes pretty much in a few days. Because the movie itself, like, I think it was filmed in about 24, 25 days. So obviously, you know, they're the small, you know, supporting movie. Well, how did they film each of their respective scenes? Because none of them has a scene with each other. Their scenes are pretty much entirely with, obviously, with lighting. Did they film them? What chronology did they film theirs in? You know, how much do they know about the characters? They, they all sell it well. Because we end up finding out so much about them. Like, first thing we see Natalie, we don't know she's, oh, she's this old bitch. That's basically the middleman for a drug dealer boyfriend. And she is taking <laughs> advantage of, of Lenny just as much as Teddy is. Yes, because we didn't find out. And Teddy's a whole mysterious part of it. Yeah. Because we, we talked about the scenes. We talked about the beginning of the movie that, obviously, beginning of the movie, he's dead. We still see him. He keeps interacting. And just be, I mean, honestly, it would be strange if some random dude breaks into someone's house and then rapes and murders the dude's wife and then gives the dude brain damage that he would continue to hang around with the guy. Yeah. And not only, not only hang around with the guy, but help him find the guy that did it. Yes. But what we find out, because as we are progressing kind of forward in the movie, in back time, the two kind of timelines are syncing up. And we find out that the cop that he's speaking to on the phone is none other than Teddy. Yep. Good old Joey Pants. <laughs> And, and uh, uh, that's uh, there's a scene where again we see Mark Green Jr., the hotel clerk, show up at the door saying, "There's this cop, you know, asking about you know." The so that that's what starts the phone conversation about good old Sammy Jenkins, and we get this entire thing where he figures out who Don G might be, and we have a sequence where Teddy meets good old. Lenny. He takes Lenny to an abandoned warehouse type place where yep. he tells him about Jimmy Gill, John G, and convinces him that he's the one that killed his wife. So yep. Lenny is waiting in the building. Teddy takes Jimmy in there. And when he gets inside, Lenny attacks Jimmy. And so right, they had this whole conversation. Like at this point, you know, it doesn't seem like they actually have met. They know of each other. You know, Jimmy has heard about Lenny. It's like, you're the memory guy. <laughs> And then they fight and they continue. And then basically, uh, Lenny overpowers Jimmy and uh, tells and him to strip. Strangles him. Yeah, he strips him. Tells, right. him, tells, tells him, him to take strip. off his clothes because he doesn't want to get blood on him. <laughs> and then he ends up strangling Jimmy, kills him, takes a picture of him, takes his clothes. And that's why, for the rest of the movie, Lenny is he wearing Jimmy's suit. Jimmy's clothes. And Jimmy had pulled up to the building in a green Jaguar. Yes. The same green Jaguar that Lenny has been driving around the whole movie. Lenny had a beat-up pickup, which is something we saw at the beginning of the movie. And something that Lenny notices, and Teddy tells him, oh, it's been there forever. Something like that. 
So then Teddy shows back up, reveals that Jimmy was not the guy that, right. that killed Lenny's wife. And so he's going on and on about, you know, so Lenny is going on and on about why would Teddy do this to him? Why would he make him go kill somebody that wasn't the one? And that's when Teddy reveals to him that he was the officer that was on the scene after his wife was attacked. And he decided to help Lenny find the guy that was responsible. The detectives on the case did not believe him, believe there was another guy that was there. Because Lenny was convinced that there was the guy because Lenny had shot a guy after busting into the bathroom where his wife was being suffocated with the shower curtain. He shot the guy that was suffocating her. Then there was another guy that snuck up behind Lenny and and, uh, slammed his head into the mirror. Bashed his head into like the mirror and... That's and knocked him out, damage. and that's what caused the brain damage. So he was convinced that this other guy was John G, and yes. he needed to find John G. So Joe Pantoliano, Teddy, who he reveals that his name was John Edward Gamble, Detective John Edward Gamble. My mom goes by Teddy. Teddy. Yeah, but uh, so he decides that you know none of the other cops are believing Lenny's story, so he's going to help Lenny find the guy and kill him. But of course, you know if it wasn't already blatantly obvious, <laughs> Teddy was a crooked cop. So, you know, he led Jimmy to his death by taking him to Lenny after telling Lenny that Jimmy was his own motives to take out certain Um, drug dealers. But so they have this big argument out there and Lenny tells him that they already got the guy that shortly after the incident, he and, you know, Teddy and Lenny found the real John G. Lenny killed him and then forgot about it. Yeah. They even took a Polaroid of him, but Asher on being bloodied and he's smiling. Yeah. And uh, he didn't remember it. And so he kept on wanting to find John G because he just knew he knew that as soon as he killed the guy, as soon as he killed the right guy, then he would know it. Whether he remembered it or not, he would just feel it. And so Teddy is trying to make him realize that, no, he won't remember it. He won't feel it because his memory won't let him. So then he's like, so my name is John Edward Gamble. I'm John G. I can be John G. There's a bunch of John G's out there. So I was just, you know, I've, I've been just helping you find all these John G's, you know, because you won't give it up. It's only been like a year. There's a scene earlier in the movie. He's like, I have no idea how long I've been doing this. Right? So basically, Lenny is a serial killer of people named John G. <laughs> <laughs> and most of them seem to be involved with some criminal enterprises. But yeah. <laughs> So then also during this argument, the topic of Sammy comes up and this is when, you know, it, you it, it's kind of, I don't know, it doesn't flat out say it, but it kind of implies, but because you can't really trust everything that Teddy says. But Teddy tells Lenny that Sammy never existed. Yeah. The whole Sammy story was about Lenny. That uh-huh. Lenny was Sammy and that his wife survived the attack and she was the diabetic. And it was the same the same thing that happened with Sammy and his wife, but it was Lenny and his wife. Where Lenny's the one that actually ended up killing his own wife because he gave her too much insulin. Which I'm inclined to believe is what actually happened. Yeah, me too. Um, He's conditioned himself well enough to believe that. But at the same time, you know, it is Teddy who's the one telling him, and Teddy's been proven to be a liar. But crooked cop driving a Buick. Yeah. So, you know, Lenny gets upset, gets into his truck to drive away, then decides, you know what, I'm not going to take my truck, I'm going to take Jimmy's car. So he takes Jimmy's car and decides that this guy, Teddy, John G., he can be my John G. So that sets up the rest of the movie, where he's looking for the Teddy John G. Focus enough to write all of it down, you know, to... Set up that clue with the license plate. Yeah, so basically, the whole movie is about him going after a man who is innocent of that crime. I mean, he's clearly guilty of a bunch of other crimes, but he's he innocent of that definitely crime. Definitely abetted in a bunch of murder. Yep. 
<laughs> so, so yeah, it was just an, an interesting twist at the end there where, you know, it's it's a lot of the twists throughout the movie. Yes, they're they're a little bit predictable, but that one is a little more it's it's a little more yeah. twisty. I liked it. Your traditional, your more traditional twist that, yeah, there are some signposts along the way, but it's kind of easy to miss those ones. And again, part of it's just the structure. It gets you so involved in trying to remember what you just watched, even though what you just watched is not what happened right before what you're watching right now. Yeah. And then the fate ends with him pulling up the tattoo parlor where he gets the last tattoo. Yep. And then it just cuts to the credits. Cuts to David Bowie. Something in the air. Yeah, you know, I, 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 it's kind of funny, you know. That's just got the to close the song. I, I, I like the score throughout the movie. It's very kind of slightly electronic and almost eighties-ish in a way. It's kind of funny. The movie definitely takes place in the modern day when it's filmed, based on the cars and dress. It doesn't feel dated at all. Like, no, it doesn't. It's just, <laughs> just yeah, it feels like it takes place when when the movie was filmed. Obviously, in like any movie, that's. The end of it, and like, oh, okay, and like, yeah. you know, then you need to play it through your head. Like, I, I remember, like, oh yeah, I can't wait to watch this on DVD, knowing everything that kind of happens in the order. Because when you watch the movie, you're just wondering, okay, like, what's everything that happened that led to this scene? I mean, when you watch it the first time, especially when it hasn't been that long, you're like, okay, yeah, what's well, coming? And I still have, you know, obviously watching it now, probably twelve years since I last seen it, knowing. That okay, yeah, like it's the whole you know, yeah, they found the guy and they've just gone after a bunch of false John G's. It's still just such a good ride to go on. Yeah, um, it's and, definitely one that you know, after watching it once, it's still worth another watch because you'll pick up yeah. on things and it's there is, you know, we haven't got we haven't brought him up yet. We've talked about collaborators with Christopher Nolan, Bobby Fister. So this is one of his first, this is kind of his breakout as well, the cinematographer. He does a really good job, too, of, again, just kind of keeping things within frame, steady to kind of, especially when Lenny needs it, and then also when things get kind of confusing for him to kind of cut things in a way, show things in a way where it's like, okay, now he's a little bit off kilter. But just even the color scheme of it, and like, it's obviously, that's fairly bright. There's a lot of blue tones to it, which is fine. But obviously, he becomes the cinematographer for all, especially Nolan's early, you know, all the Batman movies. And he won, which one did he win the Oscar for? Um, because I just, was it Dark Knight? I think I want to say it's Dark Knight because I just you know the, the two of them are very linked together as well. But I think in like Dark Knight, there's so many scenes within Dark Knight that are just like iconically Batman. Yeah, how he shoots them with the camera. He's got fire in the background. They got the silhouette of Batman. He's don't kind of spoil too much of that movie. We haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was for Inception. He won the Oscar. Okay, Inception. He was nominated for Batman Begins and Dark Knight. He was also nominated for The Prestige. But then he won it for Inception, which, again, is just great yeah. camera work. Yes, it is. But prior to Memento, I think, again, like, it's a bunch of movies I've never Funny, Interesting enough, I just looked at this now. He was the cinematographer of the Italian job. Remake. Really? Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Huh. Which is, like, a year or two after this. The Mark right? Wahlberg and Edward Norton. Yeah. But, yeah, like... Some of the movies he did before this, Animal Instincts 2, which looks like a pornography, but I'm looking at it. A divorcee <laughs> has flat. <laughs> it looks like one of those pornographies. <laughs> oh my goodness. A divorcee has flashbacks of her life while unknown to her, her next door neighbor, a security expert, plants video cameras all through her house. 
<laughs> so you can spy on her. <laughs> so yeah, that was from 1994. Rated R, 4.7 on IMDb. Well, if it's only rated R, it's not one of those pornographies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously the... Uh, <laughs> Listen, you can't see this. Oh, oh yeah, the yeah that that uh, <laughs> that poster definitely looks like uh, <laughs> it could at least be like a late night Cinemax movie. <laughs> what else did you do? Inside Out two. All these are like yeah, late night Cinemax movies. <laughs> of course. Oh my goodness, no, he was no. Seriously, just discovering this. This actually is a soft four. Different segments of soft four sex films. Segment one, misapprehended. A young <laughs> man's car <laughs> breaks down. <laughs> oh, wow. A young man's car breaks down in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh... A strange couple getting a ride. If you start talking about G's boil. <laughs> Segment two, I've got a crush on you. <laughs> wow. Ray tries to kill himself by jumping, but falls on to a young girl. If you if you start talking about the location of the boil that G had, oh, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> Here we go. That was from... Uh, that was from for those listening who are confused about G's Boyle, it, it's it's from years ago. <laughs> a book that we randomly opened the page to. <laughs> Segment eight, the hitchhiker, a young, blonde, beautiful hitchhiker, stands by the road but never gets into vehicles. A man falls over to the house in the evening. A hitchhiker that never gets into vehicles. <laughs> Isn't that just a walker? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Some guys have all the luck. Sarah asks her friend David, who she loves, to go to a hotel and makes love to a woman in a completely dark room. Fact, the woman is herself. But because David <laughs> I have no idea is tired of woman, he sends his friend William instead. So are these different movies that you're reading the descriptions no, of? This is like or is this the same one? Porno. What the What? <laughs> <laughs> And apparently he was a cinematographer on it. All right. Oh, apparently there was Inside Out 3. Uh -huh. And Inside Out 4. I'm guessing you're not talking about the same Inside Out that Pixar made. <laughs> no. Oh, Animal Instincts. Hmm. A cop videotapes his wife having various sexual encounters to spruce up their marriage. However, they soon land in hot water when a mobster learns of their marital activities. All right. <laughs> Random throwing a monster in, there. in this one, Ooh. directed by Gregory Dark. All right, Gregory Dark. Hmm. Secret Games. A born neglected housewife joins a local escort service and soon sinks deeper into trouble when she finds that she's not ready to quit when the work gets tough. So huh. apparently, Wally Fister, before he became an acclaimed cinematographer for Christopher Nolan, okay, so softcore porn. Okay, it's it's obvious now why he started out as cinematographer for uh, softcore porn of his last name is Fister. <laughs> but then he started doing some really strange, like, directed DVD horror movies. 
Granny's family wants her dead so they could collect her insurance. While she's on her deathbed, she drinks an eternal life potion, returns to the land of the living. She is on a mission to wreak havoc over her greedy relatives. Okay. <laughs> and then he wound up directing the <laughs> 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 It's like, oh, I'm tired of being yeah. that. The cinematographer for Memento and for a bunch of other Nolan movies. Mm -hmm. Batman movies and Inception. I didn't know this. Actually, his first job was as a production assistant in Salisbury, Maryland, Mm -hmm. which if you're not familiar with Maryland, Delaware, Virginia area, is near Ocean City. Yeah, so his story's kind of like Sylvester Stallone uh, and how he started in porn. It actually makes sense. So so after that, like, one of his first jobs was a is a cameraman for a Washington, D.C. news series, right? And he covered the he covered Congress. No wonder he got into porn. <laughs> it makes total <laughs> sense now. <laughs> he covered the, the Congress, the White House, and breaking news in 1982 and 1985. And then he shot documentaries for the PBS series Frontline. Yeah, no, From the PBS porn to porn. completely checks out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. PBS, where the P stands for porn. <laughs> We've completely got off. Yeah, that was quite the tangent. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so back to Memento. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie. I, I thought it, it was definitely worth the rewatch. I'm glad I'm glad we did it for this. Worth the rewatch. It was, it was like great rewatching years, it. It's over 20 years later. And it still holds up, and it's a good one because, again, like how Nolan's career is gone, right? You know, he, that was just kind of like breakout. They got, you know, before he did Batman, he did, you know, another movie like I said earlier, Insomnia. And now, you know, he's doing these huge budget movies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very kind of unique kind of voice in cinema. Uh, what we haven't really talked about is how like there's still very similar themes that you see in this that get weaved into. His other movies like memory is one of them like you see that within some of his other movies and even i well, you know personal identity and who you are yeah and how events shape you he's very interested in that as well so even you know you see how he's continued to weave kind of things he's interested in from memento through his more larger big box office movies yeah i, I just like saying like even when you kind of track a director, I think, is you see them doing kind of lower budget at first movies before they become famous. And it's a good one to look at if you haven't seen it, because it's definitely worth it. A lot of big names, some people begin to push back on them and be contrarian about, oh, that movie's this, this movie's that. But, you know, be like, oh, that's Nolan, whatever. Like, if you're not a fan of his, because of, for whatever reason, I, I don't care. But if you haven't seen Memento, you need to go check it out. Because it's very different than what you're going to watch with the movies does today. Whether it be, you know, Dark Knight or Inception, Tenet or Dunkirk. Yeah, it holds up. It Again, for me, it brought me back to, like, when I first watched it. Because it, I was at the time when I was really branching out beyond just kind of seeing the uh, big budget movies. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, I'd start watching some stuff that would video that might be interesting. You know, I'd already seen some of the Scorsese stuff and Pulp Fiction, kind of getting into kind of a different type of movie than all the, but whether it be a comedy or you know, big budget action type movies, and I loved it. That was great. And so it was an influential movie to me in a lot of ways. I was really glad to get back into it, and I want to watch it again now. <laughs> <laughs> 
because it's really well done. It just it, it brought me back to that time period. Yeah, I watched it back around 2010, 2011, somewhere in there, when uh, I was going through a, a kick of just, you know, trying to watch as many movies as I could that I hadn't seen before. Movies that I heard were really good, but I just never took the time to watch them. So I uh, was back uh, before Netflix really got into streaming. I mean, they, they were streaming some of the stuff at that time, but it was still they were still really big on their DVD rental service. Yeah. So I had, I had rented the DVD from them and I was getting, you know, all these other movies at the time, you know, stuff like Soylent Green and yeah. and uh, stuff like that, that, you know, I'd always heard about, but never took the time to watch. And Memento was one of those movies. And so I, I watched it and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, so rewatching it the other day, it, you know, it kind of kind of took me back to that to that time when when, you know, I was I was uh, learning about. The, all these movies that I hadn't watched before, and uh, yeah, it kind of kind of makes me want to uh, get a hold of a, a, a bunch of movies again that uh, that I haven't had the time to watch. Yeah, no, I haven't taken too. the time to watch. I agree with that. It makes me want to see, like, oh yeah, movies I haven't seen in a while. I really liked or like they were good, or just discover movies, like some other movies again. Like I, I don't get to see as many now these days. Yeah, but that's also yeah, part of it, part of the reason why we started this podcast, so yeah, that that we could uh, explore all these movies. You know, ones that we have seen, ones that we haven't seen, and and you know, it, I guess I, mean, I guess it's part of what hit me on this one. This reminds me about really starting to dive deeper into movies. And I look at now, like movies are so different now than they were twenty years ago. <laughs> you know, just even the process of things, like you know, so many theaters closing now. You know, and it's funny because Nolan's a director that wants to kind of hold on to kind of that classic movie going experience, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is even funny because like. Or ironic, I guess. It was like there's even an aspect of seeing a comedy, like say, for example, like Wedding Crashers in the theater compared to at home, yeah. where you have a group of people just laughing their asses off at certain aspects of things. Yeah, it doesn't have to be these huge sequences. And even I think and that's why I like watching this because you can still see Nolan's hand all over it and how he wants to set up a scene and engross a viewer the movie. And he's just. To me, he's such a great director, and I can't wait to do some more of his movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's uh, definitely definitely more of his movies on our list that uh, we will get to. But yeah, so... Uh, I have this evening for him. So that is that is Memento. So uh look forward to hearing what, uh, what all of the listeners thought of it. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it is Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. The and is spelled out, A-N-D unlike the name of the podcast where it's an ampersand, but it's all spelled out, Rob and Tony Cinematic Adventure, on both Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, or X, we are R&T Cinematic. And then also, if you're, if you're into Letterboxd, we've got a Letterboxd account, too. That is Cine Adventure, or Sign Adventure, however you want to pronounce it, but it's C-I-N-E Adventure. And uh, if you want to send us an email, let us know what you think about the podcast. If you have suggestions of movies you might want us to do, something like that, then uh, our email is Rob and Tony Cinematic Adventure, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Go ahead and give us a like and a follow and leave us some reviews. That's how we're going to move up in the standings on all these uh, podcasting apps. So whatever your favorite app is, go ahead, leave us a, a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And again, if you have suggestions of movies that you think we might maybe should do, then uh, let us know. We want to uh, we want to do movies that everybody's going to enjoy. So, uh, yeah. And so, so just join us next time when we are going to be watching uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and The Terminator. Fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah, we'll get into it. But I watched, I watched it for the first time when I was very young. 
<laughs> Another director was, that yes. truly believes in movies being on the big screen. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to be doing Terminator next time. The first of the Terminator movies. Uh, I'm sure at some point we'll probably do T2, but it won't be, it won't be right be back now. To back. But yeah, so we're going to be doing the Terminator. If you're a little Hamilton and... fan, you can get excited. Also, you know, Lance Henriksen fans. Yep. Michael Beans. Michael Bain. And of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, uh, so yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing, doing next time. So you should have some time uh, between now and then to watch it if you haven't seen it, or if you have seen it, watch it again. It's always worth a rewatch. Yeah, no, fantastic movie. Just, just watch it before because it, it's worth watching. And I mean, I'm I'm gonna watch it again. Yeah, been, I've seen it three or four years, dozens of times, it. and and but, I'm gonna watch it again before we do the next episode because yeah, it's it's always better to to rewatch it right before like we always do before we record, just so it's fresh in your mind and all that. But anyway. We will see you next time.